understand. Good morning. I am so glad you are here. I really kind of wonder, as I was, as the week, as current events kind of unfolded through the week, I thought, well, I guess I need this. There's nobody, you know, I'm studying and I'm doing all this preparing. And I'm thinking, wow, there might not be anybody there. But uh, as for me, I'm going to read you, which I do not. I got so much stuff, and my thing won't even. I'm going to read you my response to current events. This will not, I don't have this on the screen because I was ashamed to ask the guys for anything more. They, you'll, you'll, you'll see later on uh, what I'm talking about here. But uh, I, I just, this, this came to me earlier in the week. Psalm 91, just listen to the word of God. Those that live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. <laughs> he is my God, and I trust him. He will rescue me from every trap. He will protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors by night nor the arrow that flies by day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. He will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up in, the, in their hands so that you don't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce <coughs> lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with long life and give them my salvation. Amen? So that's why, while I respect the decision of those who felt like they didn't need to be there today, I refuse to live under a spirit of fear. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with Genesis 16, <laughs> which is where we are. Uh, so we're going to continue in our study of Genesis, and uh, 16 is where we're going to be today. So we're rolling right along, and I'm just, uh, those of you that maybe showed up hoping for some really, truly deep uh, theological uh, acumen on my part, uh, 
I don't know, you may, you may be disappointed before we're over with, but I think we're going to cover a few things that might apply to our lives. But uh, so as you will see, uh, the title of this sermon is from the immortal words of the renowned theologian Dirk Bentley, who said, what was I thinking? So uh, <clears throat> that uh, kind of gives you an idea where we're going anyway. I was having a conversation with somebody not too long ago. They were not, it was outside the church. I can't remember who it was, but uh, I, we were, I was telling them we were going through Genesis and whatnot, and and uh, he said, uh, well, I'm just kind of a New Testament guy. I said, well, okay, you know, I mean, that's, that's fine. And, and, and new Christ, I think new Christians probably read the red. If you're a new Christian, get your Bible, get one that's got red letters in it, and start reading the red. And that's a great place to start. But... As we grow and as we mature and as we go on, uh, I think there's, we need to go beyond that. I'm going to uh, pull up a couple of scriptures here to kind of base that on. Uh, before we go to 16, Jim, can we go to, uh, can we go to Romans 15.4? There we go. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we see Paul, and we went out, we, last year when we did Romans, we, we covered this, but Paul said this was written uh, for our instructions. And then let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. That's an interesting, that's Chronicles. <laughs> That is an interesting verse, <laughs> but it's not 1 Corinthians, <laughs> which is where I thought we were going. Oh, anyway, it is going to, he'll have it in a second, it is going to essentially say that the same thing is that uh, the things that happened to the children of Israel, that they were written down uh, so that we could have instruction. And uh, the King James is, uh, we're going we're gonna to be, in, we're going to get in Chronicles one way or the other. Yes, sir. Would you read 10 and uh, first? Amen. Okay. In another version, that word instruction is also, uh, the word is admonishment. It was written for our admonishment, uh, admonition. Uh, and so I don't know if you've ever been admonished, but, uh, but the definition of, of admonished is warn or reprimand someone firmly, uh, advise or urge someone earnestly, or down at the bottom there, warn someone of something to be avoided. So, in the Old Testament, 
we look at what happened and the things that the children of Israel did, and they recorded this so that we would not make the same mistakes or that we would learn from uh, not only what they did wrong, but also what they did right. And so, uh, so that's where we're going to go today. We're going to, uh, we're going to look at Genesis 16 and see if there's any instructions or admonishments for us uh, in this story. Now, the primary characters uh, in chapter 16 are, are Abram, who we've been studying about the last couple of chapters, last couple of weeks. Uh, Sarah, Sarah doesn't really, I'm, can I just say Sarah? Is that okay with everybody? I'll just, that Sarai thing kind of messes me up. And then uh, Hagar. Now, oh, not that Hagar, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, so, uh, so that's the three main characters. And uh, so let's read uh, chapter 16, Genesis chapter 16. We're going to read the whole, we're going to read the whole chapter real quick. Uh, starting in verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram as her, hus her husband as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt upon her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she was, had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring was on the way to Sir, which is also on the way to Egypt. She was headed back home. And he said, Hagar, son of Sarah, <clears throat> I'm sorry, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing my mistress, mistress Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affection, affliction. He said, He shall be a wild donkey of a man and his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, 
here I have seen him who looked after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai, and it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abram, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Okay, now I have no doubt that probably you, in a lot of ways, like me, said, I don't really understand what it has to do with me. But uh, we're going to see a few things, maybe. So let's dig around in here and see if we can find some instruction or some uh, admonishment, I guess. And uh, I came up with a few. So we'll start with number one, which is instruction number one, your patience will be tested. Abram's faith had already been tested in several ways. If we go back a couple of chapters from the very beginning when he told Abram to pick up and leave, get everything you got, move out, leave your all your kinsfolks, all your all your uh, your uh, mother and father and gathered up and head out this way and I'll show you where to go when you get there. And so he was obedient, and, he, and so the obedience of his faith was good. He did that. Uh, secondly, we saw the reliance of his faith, his reliance on the word of God. When he got, to, uh, he got there, there was a famine going on, and he had to go down to Egypt. And uh, so did he rely on the word of God? Did his faith uh, come through for him? Uh, no, he didn't do so good with the Egyptians. He... Uh, cooked up a story about his wife being his sister, you know. And so, anyway, he didn't really rely on God to take care of that uh, for him. But then as time went on, uh, the next thing we see, uh, his, the generosity of his faith was tested when he, uh, when he had to deal with uh, the uh, turmoil in his family with Lot and his, you know, their herd were getting all bumping to one another and the shepherds were... Uh, uh, fighting, and so he was very generous. He came through, and uh, and he said, okay, Lot, we're going to start out this way. You turn one way, whichever way you want to go, whichever way you see fit, you turn that way, and I'll go the other way, which I thought was more than generous uh, on, uh, on Abram's part. And then the courage of his faith was tested when he had to go rescue Lot from the invading kings who... And they carried Lot off and all his belongings and everything. Uh, and uh, Abram got a couple of buddies, 300 guys from his family, and they went out, routed uh, the invading kings, got everything back, got Lot and all his belongings and some people from Sodom and some of their belongings, got it all back and uh, came back home. And so when he got back, uh, we see the thankfulness in his faith, when he was willing to give, he gave a tithe to Melchizedek, who was the king and priest of the Most High God. And then we saw the integrity of his faith, 
when he refused to take anything from the king of Sodom, he said, uh, no, I don't want anything from you. I don't want you to be able to say that you made me who I am in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And now the next thing, then we see the Lord having a covenant, made a covenant with Abram. And then here we, en we end up in chapter 16, and we see the patience of his faith being tested. And he doesn't do so well. Let's look at 2 Peter 3.8. If you are a Christian, your patience will be tested. And here's one of the reasons why. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. God does not reckon time as we reckon time. Infinite does not go on the same timetable that finite does. Uh, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, a uh, pastor uh, last week alluded to the fact that this is the microwave generation that we live in, and we are so used to having everything uh, that we want, uh, and we want it right now, and it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't fit in with God's timetable. Uh, one more scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. This is why I didn't want to add any more scripture to the guys. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, or in some versions it says with patient perseverance, uh, the race that was marked out for us. So what we have here is a very old statement that you hear about a lot of things, but this life, this Christian life that we're in, is uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So uh, we have a lot of examples of this throughout the Bible. When David, you know, when the prophet Samuel was told to go to the house of Jesse and pick out a king from all the sons. You know, he went down through everybody that was there, and he said, no, this is not it. And he said, are there any more sons? And they said, yeah, oh, yeah, there is one more. He's uh, out guarding the sheep. He's out shepherding. And the reason they didn't have him there was because he was only 15 years old. So they went and got him. Sure enough, this was who the Lord uh, had chosen, and David, and he was anointed as king at age 15. But he did not take over the throne until he was age 30. For 15 years, Saul chased him around all over everywhere. And, and uh, this made for a very long time. But David, uh, and he, David actually had an opportunity. He had Saul asleep in a cave and, uh, and could have ended it right there. But uh, he chose to let God work his timetable as he would work his timetable, and, uh, and things worked out for Saul, for uh, David.
One other observation about patience is, uh, I don't know about you, everybody's experience is different, but God, God to me sometimes, he really likes to be a bottom of the ninth, two out God. I think he enjoys that, really. I mean, uh, he loves to come through when it looks like there is no other way out. It looks like it is truly lost. And sure enough, if God doesn't step up to the plate and hit a home run and win, you know, it just, he, and I think that there's probably behind that is the fact that he just wants to see, are, are we going to bail? Are we going to bail out? Or are we going to let God do things on his timetable? Okay, your patience will be tried. Secondly, instruction number two. And this is probably the heart of it uh, in a lot of ways. You cannot, by human attempt, bring about the fulfillment of a divine promise. God had promised Abraham, Abram that his lineage would be more than the stars. You wouldn't be able to count them for the stars. He had made that promise to him. And so he had made him a divine promise and you, you may ask, you know, well, why is that important to me? Why is that important here today? And I'm glad you asked that question because I'm, <coughs> gonna, I'm gonna try and tell you. If we could fulfill a divine promise by works that we do, then you would be able to work your way into salvation. And if there's anything that we have that's been a constant at this church is it's by faith alone and Christ alone. There's no other way. But we always, humans, and we see it all through the Bible, see it all in the Old and the New Testament, we want to go back to having a ledger. We want to go back to being able to check off. And so we start, when we do that, we, you know, we just start down the road. You know, I, I, you know, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't go out with girls that do. You know, <laughs> hey, I, I go to church. If I don't have anything else to do, you know, if I happen to have a dollar in my pocket when the offering plate goes by, drop it in. You know, I'm a good guy, and that ought to get me to heaven because I do all these things. You know, I just, I just do what I ought to do, and. Actually, there's a scripture, a New Testament scripture for all you New Testament folks uh, that explains this pretty well. Uh, Galatians 4, starting in verse 22. For it is written that Abram, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. 
as a word picture. Uh, these two women are two covenants. One from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. This is Hagar. So we see that this picture that we're drawn in chapter 16 of Genesis is the difference between the son of the flesh and the son of promise, the son of expediency versus the son of patience. And, and so we see these things happening to them, and he tells us about it. And the, the opposite of that, or the remedy to that, is in Romans 8 and 2, which, as you remember, last year when we were going through Romans, uh, Paul spent the better part of Romans explaining about uh, the law versus uh, faith in Jesus Christ. And this is kind of the culmination of that. So that's for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ and <clears throat> from the law of sin and death. So instead of going back <clears throat> to the old way and slaving away at the flesh, see, this is just where the devil wants us to be is slaving away at the flesh. Because when we do that, number one, he has home field advantage. When, you, when you're operating in the flesh, uh, he's known our weaknesses and he's known our spots from the very beginning. Started right in the Garden of Eden. Uh, you know, he's the pinball wizard and we're trying to beat him on his machine and it's not going to happen. We cannot, uh, we can't beat him using those things and we can't be of any use to God uh, if we're so busy running on the devil's treadmill while he dangles the carrot out in front of us going, you just have to be a little better. You have to be better. You got to do better. Do a little better. And we run ourselves to death and get nowhere and he wins uh, instead of, and we end up in slavery to this thing and, and so we can be of no earthly good to God uh, while we're doing this. Uh, this is sub-instruction sub A under number two instruction is kind of a continuance of this, is if you attempt to do this, it will turn out badly for you. If you look at Abram's situation, we can use this as an example. No sooner than he did this thing, uh, he, uh, as soon as Hagar conceives, civil war breaks out in Abram's house. His wives are now at odds with one another. His slave wife Subwife, if you want to call it concubine, uh, this is different. You know, they did things differently back then, which I'm really, I really felt sorry for those guys. Can you imagine? Uh, I mean, like multiple honeydew lists. I mean, you know, just <laughs> you know, oh, honey, this old tent. We need to, this thing is dated. We need to update this. You know, and you know the. You know, this old two-hump camel, I want one of them sporty one-hump camels, you know. <laughs> but anyway, it, it, uh, I mean, his, his, his house, his house went totally, you know, uh, 
back to more serious stuff, Hagar uh, is now treating his lifelong wife, Sarah, with contempt. Uh, she has been able to conceive, which is something that Sarah had not been able to do in all these years, and I'm sure that so this now, in her mind, made her a better woman than Sarah. Uh, it now put her child as heir to all the promises that God had promised Abram. And so uh, she took on a prideful, uh, arrogant, contemptuous attitude toward her mistress. And so uh, don't you know this made for a happy night at home every night uh, when you come in from working all day long. Uh, so now Sarah's hurt about all this, what's the first thing she does? She blames Abraham. She said, this is your fault. And he's going, <laughs> and so uh, uh, on, then on top of that, uh, Abram, to turn one mistake into another mistake, he gives up his position as head of the household and tells Sarah, okay, well, she's yours. Do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to handle this. You handle it. So, so he, uh, so that which just carries it further down the road. And so now, Sarah does that, treats Hagar so badly that she leaves, carrying Abram's son in her womb with her as she goes. At this point, you have to think that. All of them, Sarah for conceiving this thing, Abram for going along with it, Hagar for agreeing to it, they all have to be going, what was I thinking? How could this get so bad so quick? So, oh, and not to mention, you know, I, any of you that have been on this earth for very long, if you've listened to any current events, uh, when can you ever remember any peace in the Middle East? Not in my lifetime. It's, a, it's turmoil all the time over there. You know why? Right here. It's the consequence of failing to be patient and trying to to take something out of God's hands. Okay. Instruction number three. There is a way that seems right. A way that seems right. So here, back to Abram. He's got to be thinking, you know, on the onset, He's going, well, you know, it was my wife that suggested this. Uh, it wasn't my idea. This was her idea. I have no reason to believe, you know, that my wife meant any harm in designing this arrangement. Uh, I think she probably truly felt that, you know, we've been here 10 years, you know, I'm not having any children, you know, we need to, which... You know, this was a custom back then. There's nothing other, there's, I think there's some things to be said for, for what they did. But anyway, this, is, this was not socially unacceptable at this time. But so, so on the surface, this probably looked okay. But 
right out of Proverbs, uh, we have two verses in 14 and 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And then in Proverbs 16, 25, what? There is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way to death. They said the same thing. Two things. Two verses, exact same quote, exact same words. Uh, anytime God repeats himself, I think it's worthy of our attention. So there is certainly a way that seems right. And I think Abram thought that he was on that path. I mean, I think he really thought that, okay. But, uh, so what's a guy to do? Well, let's read two more verses real quick. Psalms 139.23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And then in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And then the rest, we, uh, we'll talk about that at some other time. But Paul says, examine yourself and make sure that you have not stepped outside the faith to make sure that I am operating in faith here, right? I have not allowed my pride and my flesh to interfere and make a choice that I'm going to regret. Uh, and there's also another, we don't have, I didn't put it on the screen, but this is subtruth of uh, there's a way that seems right. But the subtruth of that is uh, pride comes before a fall. And I think we see, we see uh, Abram maybe getting a little prideful here. And is it not the very height of pride and arrogance that you would look at what's happening and you would say to God, we're going to take over here. We're going to take this out of your hands and we're going to take care of it. We don't believe uh, this is happening as quick uh, as it should or we thought it could. And so now we're going to handle it, God. We're going to do it our way. Uh, it's the very height, and it's the very reason why it says in James that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And here's the subtruth of the subtruth. When you've been on a roll, and everything is good, that's exactly when you need to be on your guard. Abram had been on a roll. He really had. I mean, he, you know, all the things, the generosity and, and the uh, you know, rescue and Lot and, and Melchizedek and all that, things were going good. He'd been, he'd been doing a really good job. And I'm sure that, uh, that he was riding high. Uh, how many people here have ever been on water skis? Water skis, anybody? Water skis. You know, when you first start, you know, you, boy, you got those two skis on, you're all squatted down, that rope starts pulling, you know, you learn very fast that you can't pull on that rope or your feet go out from under you. But after you start getting up and you start, 
you know, and at first you follow along right behind the boat, and then you kind of ease across the, you go over to this side, and you go over to this side, and after a while, you know, you start, oh, I got it, I got this, and about that time you hit a wake from another boat or something like that, you go, and you pull on that rope, and down you go. As soon as you, uh, as soon as you get to feeling really good, that's about the time that you're in for a good uh, dunking. So, uh, so, but the but the spiritual truth here is this: exactly when the devil is apt to attack you, is when you're just feeling good about how great you are. Uh, pride starts to take over in your life, and. Uh, and you're in for a fall. Uh, for we, a few red flags over over when you're praying, when you're asking God to examine your heart, to look at what your this all this this plan that you're fixing to hatch. Uh, if it doesn't require any personal sacrifice, if it doesn't require any change in lifestyle. If there are no moral restraints, uh, if it seems easy and expedient, bells and whistles ought to go off. It's time for you to stop and think about what you're doing before you do this because you are out to head down that road uh, that leads to death. Instruction number four. And this is actually more of a, I guess, a backwards or a, it's not so much what they did, it's what they didn't do. And I've already alluded to this, but uh, instruction number four, pray, pray, and pray some more. What might have been the outcome of this story if Abram had said to Sarah, hold on, honey. Let's ask God about this. Abram obviously had a very special relationship with God, and they talked on a pretty regular basis. It would not have been any trouble at all uh, for him to say, God, what do you think about this plan? How much heartache could this have saved? And fortunately, because of the covenant that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can talk to God anytime we want to. We don't have to wait. We don't have to go anyplace special. We don't have to have a priest. We don't have to do a sacrifice. We can get down on our knees and pray anytime we want to. So, honey, hold on, hold on. Second, you know, I mean, even uh, this is the father of our faith. Uh, the father of all mankind could have done the same thing. Adam could have done the same thing with Eve. Uh, wait, honey. God will be walking through the garden here in the cool of the evening. Let's ask him about this. So, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. 
No truer words have been spoken. Uh, and I know some of you who have heard me preach before have probably going, oh, here he goes. He's going to get on this soapbox one more time. Well, you're right. Will, will you let me get on my soapbox one more time? Okay, all right. Okay, remember, y'all gave me permission for this, right? Uh, because I tell you what, I'll quit jumping up on this soapbox when we have to put more chairs and go to a bigger room for pre-service prayer. How's that? Amen? Amen. It's the same old bunch, week in and week out, month in and month out. And I'm your brother. You're, you're my brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And I'm not trying to heap any condemnation on anybody. I'm trying to stir you up and encourage you into doing not what I think. I'm not saying you need to pray because I think you need to pray. I mean, I do think you need to pray, but that's not the real reason. The reason is that I think it's abundantly clear in the Word of God that we're to pray and that we're to pray often. And I'm going to use just a couple of scriptures to try and convince you of this, uh, to try and uh, move you to that place. But Luke 15, 6, this is Jesus when it says he, that he would withdraw, <coughs> would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That's isolated. Uh, and then in Luke 6, 12, and in these days he went into the mountain to pray. And all night he continued to pray to God. And in Mark 6, 46, and let me frame this for you. Right before this, he had fed the 5,000 men plus all their, plus their families. And, and he said after he'd taken leave of them, and he had told his disciples to go get on the boat. And go across the other side. And he'd catch up with them. Well, he caught up with them walking on the water. Okay? So this is right in. So between uh, feeding the 5,000 plus and walking on the water, uh, he went up on the mountain to pray. And this could go on. I could, I could be here for a long time doing this. Jesus had a lifestyle. An absolute lifestyle of getting alone by himself, away from everybody else, and praying. He had to have, as a man, because he was man, he was God-man and man-God, but the, the human part of him had to have this communication with the Father. We have to talk to God. Jesus had to talk to God, and if Jesus has got to talk to God to maintain ministry, I mean, if, if you look and you read, if you go back and you frame all, if you, if you go back and read all these stories, it was he ministered and he prayed. He ministered and he prayed. He poured out everything that he had, and then God would recharge him. He did this as a, as a lifestyle. Uh, who's got a cell phone? Who's a cell phone? Everybody's got one of these, right? What good, what good is this if the battery's dead? Uh, Makes a great paperweight. Nope. There we go. That's what it's good for. 
<laughs> what good is this if you don't even have a charger for it? What good are you as a Christian if your battery is dead and, much like, and you don't even have a prayer life? If you have no way to get with God? New Testament, Ephesians 6.18. <clears throat> Praying at all times. What times? All times. Oh, not just when evil befalls us. Uh, not when someone we love is in the ICU. Uh, not when we lose our job because the plant's shutting down. All times, in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication <clears throat> for all the saints. This, is, this comes right at the end of put on the whole armor of God. So, when I see all times, all prayer, all perseverance, all the saints, four times in one verse, all, 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 all. We ought to be praying all the time. Pray and pray and pray some more and then pray some more. Because that is how we will survive as Christians. That is how we will not have a spirit of fear, irregardless of what the news media says, irregardless of what the politicians say, because I have a source. I have a relationship with someone that's greater than the coronavirus. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. Uh, instruction 5, 6, and 7 that I put down at the bottom of the things down there, uh, we don't have time for. But I'll throw out some thoughts to you. Number five could be, do not hold those who are in authority over you <clears throat> uh, in contempt because it will almost always turn out badly for you. Uh, what did Hagar think? What was she thinking when she decided to be openly contemptuous towards Sarah? What did she think the outcome of that be, would be? Could this possibly be good? I would tell you a story about real quickly about me telling a man that owned the store that I work for that uh, there were actually two of us. We said, this guy you got running this thing doesn't know what he's doing and you got to get rid of him or we're leaving. Well, about 10 minutes later, I was unemployed. He said, well, I guess go ahead and give me your keys right now. <laughs> that is not the way I envisioned this going. Uh, you can run, but you can't hide. Uh, he found Sarah on the road uh, and had, and what was the first thing he told her? At first, he addressed her as Hagar, servant of Sarah. Where have you come from, and where are you going? God will find you. So you can run, but you can't hide. And there are much more, but we don't have time for much more. 
So what we're going to do is pray. Amen? Father, we just thank you for your precious word. We just thank you, Lord, that you love us, Lord, and that you've written down uh, in your word instructions for us, warnings and admonitions for us that we might not make mistakes, Lord, that we might not uh, depart out of impatience uh, and go down a road, Lord, that leads to destruction, Father but rather you gave us, Lord, the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you gave us uh, open access, Lord, to your throne room that we might enter in and that we might obtain grace and mercy and knowledge. You asked us, you told us, Lord, that if any of us lack wisdom, that all we have to do is ask. And Father, I just pray today that we would remember, Lord, to pray first, Lord, to pray all the time, Father, to seek you in everything that we do, to seek you in the way that we go and the, the decisions that we make, Father. We just pray that you would, uh, that you are there and that you are ready to lead us and to guide us, Lord, in everything that we do. And we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.